another another episode of behind the lens and we're really going to go behind the lens today and i'm doing it with one of my most favorite people in the world my good friend kendra montagna hi you guys thanks for tuning in again and this is a very special appearance by kendra because we're going to be talking about and have some guests calling in on a film that Kendra is actually in yay that's always a good day so <laughs> you know when it, when I, we're going to have uh, cinematographer Daniela Nowitz call in, the film is called Keep Leave. It is still in the Kickstarter process, but there is footage done. Mm -hmm. So I'm thrilled that we're going to not only have an, a cinematographer calling in, but a female cinematographer. Yeah. They're, they are few and far between. It's an all-female crew. Yeah. I'm so. extremely excited about and it. And then hopefully we'll have one of your co-stars, Ariana Siriana, call in. Mm -hmm. I actually filmed a scene with her uh, to help promote the show. And then maybe one of your producers. Yes. Hector Lynn or even Chris, the main producer yeah. of the project, Keep Leave. It's a sci-fi um, project, and it's just, I'm really excited about the idea. I've always been kind of a sucker for sci-fi, yeah. so. And at 11.15, we're going to get to talk about Yay. all of that. And just to show you how live we are, we only know Daniela is calling in for sure. The others are going to be surprised. Yeah. But, you know. We're ready. Yeah, we're ready. We're we're ready. And at 11.30, very exciting, we've got Jeremy Royce, uh, first-time director, director of 20 Years of Madness. Uh, this film has an interesting uh, progeny. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a documentary based on this small little public access 1990s mm -hmm. uh, Michigan cable show called 30 Minutes of Madness. And let me tell you, the show originally in the 90s was Madness, and now the documentary, as the cast and crew of the original TV, of the original cable access show mm -hmm. come together 20 years later to try and relive those moments and reboot the show, Jeremy is there capturing all of this yeah. in a documentary. And it, there are a lot of life lessons that get imparted in here, yeah. and we'll be talking about those with Jeremy. But it was... Uh, debuted premiered at slam dance it won the honorable the jury award honorable mention for bet for documentary mm -hmm. and it is also screening tonight as the final summer screening of the arclight slam dance cinema club awesome. at 8 p.m tonight at the arclight down in hollywood i think there's still tickets available i'm not moderating this q a tonight people because jeremy has tom green doing it um so he's I, I'm scant on information about tonight's Cinema Club screening, but it is there. The documentary is so much fun. It is so worth watching. Uh, so if you're in the L.A. area, please, by all means, go online to ArclightCinemas.com. You can get your tickets there. Go down to the Arclight in Hollywood tonight to see this because it is it's beautifully done, mm -hmm. and it's very insightful and not something that you would expect no, I didn't expect it. It came together, like, especially because the piece itself started out, you know, of course, it's like madness. It's just like 
And, and as you pointed out earlier, it's like a jackass this. movie. Yeah, exactly. It's just like Tom Green and Steve-O and Bam Margera. Yes, and of course, Steve-O, as we all know, is in the news today, having just gotten arrested after climbing up a crane, breaking into a construction site, and people thought he was going to jump and commit suicide. He was not. He was, um, yeah. But so it's even more... The fact that we have that kind of element vibe going yeah. on today. See? Serendipitous. But before we get to that, we're gonna we got a little a serious note. We've got we're gonna talk a little bit about a fantastic documentary uh, that is out now in limited release. It goes wider, it's bouncing around. It's called That Sugar Film. It's by Australian uh, filmmaker Damon Gemmo, mm -hmm. who is one of the nicest people on the planet. Uh, I had a chance to sit down and talk at length with him uh, in a one-on-one -on -one interview about the documentary. And it all started out of his own desire to get healthier mm -hmm. and as an experiment. Um, what if I took all sugar out of, out of my diet? What if I only ate healthy foods? Mm -hmm. By eating only healthy foods or what was deemed healthy. Yeah. Those healthy f foods still contain about 40 teaspoons of sugar a day. Yep. And it's tricky, sneaky, sneaky. You know, uh, some of the some of the things that can happen from from too much sugar in your diet, you can get a fat, uh, fatty liver disease, obviously mm -hmm. diabetes, one of the most prevalent. After 3 weeks time of being on a healthy diet, deemed by America, the American deemed, Food and Drug deemed Administration, deemed everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because he he actually did this down in Australia where he lives, but it this is a universal concept yes. of a healthy diet. And within three weeks, he was showing signs of fatty liver disease. Um, within 60 days, early type 2 diabetes. And that told him all he needed to know. It's like there is something not healthy about healthy food. Yeah. And he then dug even deeper, started doing research as to really what is healthy what is going on with foods what is being hidden in foods by the, the food manufacturers mm -hmm. and he realized he had to take this to the next level he had to he had to turn this into a documentary but not just a documentary a documentary that people would want to see yeah. and especially families and kids right so i asked him about how do you convey this important information Mm -hmm. in a form that will appeal to everybody. Yeah, that was the whole point at the beginning, is how do you get people to see a documentary that don't normally see a documentary? Because you think of the conventional doco, it's kind of earnest and reverential and it's often emotional and quite serious. And I thought we can't get that audience, uh, they don't need to see this film. They kind of already have that awareness. Mm -hmm. How do we break that line and get it beyond that into people that actually need to see it? Mm -hmm. So that was always from the get-go. This, this science can be very dense and complex to people, how do we make it accessible to families so anyone can sit down with their kids and actually understand. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's probably been the most heartening thing about the response so far in Australia and Europe is that you know the cinemas are full of kids, you know, and the kids love it and they think it's cool and they're writing me letters and you know it's um you know, that fills my heart because they're the generation that need it. You know, I think mm -hmm. our generation older, you know, we can change, but our habits are ingrained in a lot of ways. But if we can kind of get to that age and sort of, right. if you start on the right path, you won't need the medications that we, we've got now. Mm -hmm. You won't need to rely on the medical system because you're eating real food. So that was always the intention. But um, yeah, um, you know, it could have failed spectacularly, but so far <laughs> it's going okay. Well, so well constructed is this documentary that... In Australia, 
and now in the United Kingdom, study guides have been implemented into the school systems. There are 1,000 schools in Australia, 12,000 in the United Kingdom that have incorporated this documentary and the study guide into their curriculums for their kids. I love that. I love it when people take a life experience and put a positive spin on it and inform people. That's, and you know, that is, that is the Elias Entertainment motto, educate, enlighten, entertain. Yeah. Literacy. And, you know, speaking of literacy, here we have, going a step further, for those of you, when you watch, uh, you will see here, that sugar book, Damon mm -hmm. also created that sugar book, took the elements of the film, took the animation from the films, took a lot of the fun, and put it into a book with truly healthy recipes mm -hmm. that are actually foods that I'll even go to the store and buy. Yeah. I'm, I want to read it. I'll it, let you. Yeah. It, it's my signed copy, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll be careful. I won't do finger <laughs> No, you can, you can put finger, it has cat prints on it already. Uh -huh. So, you know. Paw prints. Paw prints. <laughs> but, uh, so we're doing good. But the combo pack, I mean, you can get the book. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of that. But then also watching the film, it's a nice companion. Right. To have the, to have the two of them. But, you know, once he decided, okay, you want to make this documentary, there mm -hmm. was so much information to impart. How do, how do you hone it down? And how do you come up with the visuals that will make it compelling? Right. Excellent yeah. questions. Excellent questions. So the turning point was when I got the fatty liver after 18 days, that because all the speculation at that point was that maybe this one half, this fructose, mm -hmm. turns to fat in the liver, but it was so hotly debated. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that happened to me so quickly, it was like, okay, this is real, right? That freaked me out. Oh, yeah. And that's when everything went up a notch. And so I then sort of went on this complete binge of reading, going, right, who are the people in the world I need to go and see? And that's when I sort of made these phone calls. And, you know, these people have been doing this for 20 years up against the industry. They've been begging for a film, you know, to tell the story, you know, and finally come out. So it wasn't a problem. I think they all said yes, anyone that I asked. But then I guess the next question was, again, what we talked about earlier, how do you kind of make this accessible? Because people need to see this. And I had a quote, an Oscar Wilde quote on my computer, and it said, if you want to tell people the truth, you've got to make them laugh or they'll kill you. Yeah. And I think that's particularly pertinent when you're dealing with the sugar industry. But I thought that was became the driving motivation. It's like, right, at every opportunity, how do we push a convention that hasn't been done? How do we make a documentary not dry? How do we make it stimulating the kids who've got such a short attention span? They're so used to online content. We need to mix up the styles. We need to kind of make these little sequences that teachers could pull out on their own and teach to a class. So that became the prime. We were always asking what the audience would want. It was never about us or my own ego, ego as a filmmaker, which I had to go through my own journey with because my yeah. first film, I was like, yeah, I want to make a cool, edgy film that gets into Sundance, but then yeah. I was like, I see that film. So I went through my own journey of that and it was constantly on kids, you know, families, will they get this? Is it too complicated? How do we make it fun? Okay, could I shrink myself and go into my own brain? Yep, that you know, so it was a really fantastic experience for me. I'm, I'm very excited to make more because I just... It got such a sort of crash course in filmmaking, mm -hmm. and again, special effects. I've never done that, but we've had they were fabulous. Two hundred and ninety special effects in the film, you know. But, but that's why the kids are loving it because we we had to make sure that they were. I mean, I got my mate who did them. He has done Wolverine and, and Superman, and mm -hmm. they had to be so good. The kids, it was bulletproof. You know, you, you couldn't have a, a kid going, "Oh, that's so daggy and terrible." They were like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. That's what inside the body's like." And mm -hmm. so that's right. It was just. 
I haven't actually I've done so many interviews, but no one's asked me. That's a great question. But it was always about keeping the audience in mind and sort of making sure that they were first. You know, what's going to work? What's going to be boring? What's going to? I think we're going to lose them here, or you know. And I don't think filmmakers do that often enough. And you know, the mate he's talking about that, that did the spell, special effects is Seth Larney, really? who is an amazing FX guy. And he really has. He's done Wolverine. He's done Star Wars. He's done uh, Revenge of the Sith. He, wow. Uh, yeah. And to have a friend like that come in, and when you see the film, and you see the effects that are in there, mm-hmm. and the fun that everything conveys, mm-hmm. you want to see more. Mm-hmm. You really do. But, you know, part and parcel with the fun it, are the issues. Are, is the importance of the information that's coming out and... What it boils down to on one hand is ethics, integrity, and accountability of the food manufacturers, of what are they imparting, what are they doing, what is their advertising doing. And you see excerpts of some, you know, clips of some commercials within the documentary and the way sugar is at the forefront, and you know. It's a big and, problem. And you make it look really pretty mm-hmm. so that. Low fat. And so the colors will Mm. entice people, Mm. but when you start reading the buried little ingredients, it adds up to that 40 teaspoons of sugar that is found in a healthy, I think, 1,600, 1,800 calorie diet. With fruit snacks and granola and yogurt, and it's just hidden in there. This was important uh, to Damon and to me the more I was talking to him, because you you can hear the enthusiasm in his voice about about this, um, which is why I picked clips for you to hear because his enthusiasm is infectious mm-hmm. and you re- and when you're speaking to him face to face he's so passionate about his project a lot of people go into documentaries and they're passionate about it for the moment his moment is forever mm-hmm. and I think that's really important uh, to say about Damon and about the doc but when it comes to ethics integrity and accountability here's what we talked about now you actually have this broken down very subtly mm. into acts based on the mm. issues that you're addressing. Yeah. Especially when you bring in the whole advertising and marketing aspect mm. and you draw the analogy in parallel, the same as what the tobacco industry oh, has yeah. done. Mm. How was there any kind of trepidation on your part about broaching that? The comparisons? The or? comparisons and even and bringing that in. Uh, yes, there was when I was un- un- uninformed about it. But it's one of those things that once you talk to enough people and they tell you the same story, you go, oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's that thing I can imagine, you know, people, you know, you talk about conspiracy theories and stuff. But then you, sometimes you meet those people and they genuinely believe it because they've heard it from, and you go, well, is it a conspiracy theory, you know? And once you start meeting these eminent professors that are totally respected around the world that have done the research that have written papers on it and they're sending you emails of their studies on you know tactics used comparing tobacco and the food industry you think oh this this is happening you know and then you meet a scientist who works for coke who's openly saying sugar's fine and what would we do for our values and preferences if we didn't have sugar it's like oh man like this is you know i'm I'm a sweet you know boy from australia who thought the world was just this big rosy place and you start seeing what's going on, and I guess that's that fueled me the film even more. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, because it is affecting that kid in um, Kentucky. It is affecting those Aboriginals. Mm-hmm. His deception and his manipulation of that science is having a direct effect. He might not see it, but it's actually costing people their lives. Mm-hmm. So you need to be held account, mate. 
because you might not realise it, but your actions are really causing pain and there's a lack of integrity there and that's, I think, why there are so many problems in the world because mm. people are out of their truth. They're out of... They know what's right and they're not doing it and it's creating this mess. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he... You know, the documentary, it is multi-pronged. Mm -hmm. So you are imparting information, but there's also commentary here and then the research studies and the experts that he talks to. Um, and as he referenced here, he talked about the Aboriginals and, uh, you know, a kid in Kentucky. Right. Uh, there have been studies done with Mountain Dew uh, oh, on tea. Yeah, yeah. And so this also gets brought up, you know, in the film as well. So he really covers a broad spectrum. And it's not just in Australia. He, he went the mm -hmm. world over to research and to capture images and to get interviews. And then, you know, he called on his friends like Hugh Jackman and Stephen mm -hmm. Fry and, you know, a, an, a craftsman like Seth Larney and helped put this documentary together. I want to see this. Well, then I'm definitely going to read the book. I mean, it's... This is something that should be on Netflix already. Well, let it get a theatrical run and, ma and make some money. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it may be on digital or VOD. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, it's just fabulous. Something that I definitely would be into watching. It's, oh. You it's informative will, and you, with you, the animation. The animation is incredible. And then when you have Stephen Fry, who is, he's one of my favorite comedians. You may recognize him from his playing uh, Gordon Gordon on Bones for several seasons. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, because I was on episode nine, uh, season one, as April Wright. I may have been murdered. But, yes, check me out. <laughs> and that, we know, is available on DVD, yes, Blu-ray, and everywhere else. it is on DVD. Else. It's on Netflix right now. Episode 9, season 1. So, okay, there. So, go see Bones, <laughs> and you can see Kendra. But, you know, but Stephen Fry does a beautiful song and dance uh, explaining to us what fructose and sucrose are. Yeah. So... This is definitely, check it out, it's unforgettable. And right now, we're going to check out something else, because... <gasps> we have a caller! Oh, my God. I'm excited. Oh, my. Is this Daniela? No, this is Hector Lynn. Hi, Hector Lynn. Oh, Hi. Well, hello, Hector Lynn. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Behind the Lens. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yay, thank you so much for calling in, Hector Lynn. Well, no problem. Well, I'm going to let... I'm going to, you know, call on, rely on Kendra's expertise here yeah. about this project since you guys have already shot something. But tell the audience, what is the film Keep Leave? I read the Kickstarter campaign. I yeah. looked at the drawings. I've looked at the images. Uh, Kendra sent me a few. I am mesmerized. Wonderful. You're very mesmerized. <laughs> the whole concept. But I'll let you tell the audience what the idea of this of keep leave is and what Chris has come up with. Well, Chris has created this world where um, each individual has the ability to choose which memories you get to keep and which memories you get to delete. So you can go to this, you know, retention clinic and decide, okay, I'm done with this relationship. Here are the good parts that I want to keep of it. And, you know, here's the crummy stuff I want to get rid of. And that's the world that Chris um, Gautier, our director and writer, has created. Wow. And how now how did you get involved in the project? 
Uh, well, Chris and I worked, um, we've worked on several projects together. So this was just another thing that she was doing. She's very creative and she brought me on board as producer. So yeah, she's very you know, creative. Like our, our just promotion shoot was, I, I just loved being there. It was an all female crew and it was just the backdrop and the effects already were on point. Right. I mean, so much has already, you know, been created of this world. So we're just, you know, looking for the audience to partner with us to make it happen. Yeah. As Kendra said, it is an all-female crew, which is something that is very rare in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. we're really trying to champion it and champion women filmmakers. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'm just excited to be a part of the project and happy to be working with such a great cast, um, such as, you know, Kendra and the rest of my cast members. Well, now, what I find interesting, too, is, number one, you chose Kickstarter to go with the campaign. I know there's a lot of discussion out there as to what's what's better, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or one of these other private crowdfunding um, methods. What led you, as a producer, um, what led you to go to opt for Kickstarter? Well, um, I know the rest of our production team felt very strongly about Kickstarter mm-hmm. just because of the visibility of it. Um, so that's why, and because this world cannot be created for anything less than the amount that we're asking to raise, which is, you know, fifty two thousand, well, $50,000, and then Kickstarter gets this, you know, cost. Of so course they it's do. it's kind of all or nothing. Yeah. I mean, the, how hard was it to find an all-female crew? Uh, well, actually, not that hard <laughs> because there's women out here who are doing Working. great work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Chris came up with the idea, and I am a champion of women. I mean, obviously, I am a woman. Uh, so, you know, I was like, oh, hey, this is kick-ass. Let's do it. So uh, it's something that I, I, I really like the fact that you, you're actually putting something out there for potential investors, potential donors, to see Mm -hmm. Um, but you're also not going overboard and doing I've seen some campaigns where the director has put together a 40 minute reel of what the film will be okay at 40 minutes okay number one where did you get the money for the 40 minutes you know you you only need another 20 or 30 minutes and you could have had a whole film right Right. Um, so how did you base the decision on and then coming up with what you were going to shoot as the enticement to show to people? Um, well, actually, I can't really take credit for that. That's the work of, you know, Chris and our production designer, who, you know, Chris worked with um, to come up with the idea for this world, as well as our, you know, very talented DP. So um, in terms of the time span of it, you know, like in that kind of a space, you can't really do too much. Like, people are only going to pay attention to you for maybe, like, a minute and a half, mm-hmm. maximum three minutes. So we try to keep it within that range. Oh. Now, did you do any of you um, have any trepidation about, because I understand this is going to be very VFX heavy. Yes. You've got a lot of, anytime we're dealing with future and, and all of this, and I'm mm-hmm. getting the sense it may have an ex machina kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. How what does what does the VFX how does that impact how you approach the film from a production standpoint, especially when it comes to your budgeting and yeah. time allotments? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a 
basically the biggest part of our budget is going to the you know visual effects of this film like um right now of the you know fifty thousand that we're trying to raise it almost thirty thousand dollars is going towards the production design because this isn't a simple like point and shoot film you have Mm -hmm. to create this world right so you have to bring it to life for the audience exactly well now from a scripting standpoint kendra have you seen have you read the whole script I read what they've released so far, mm-hmm. and for what we did, we shot, we shot already. Mm-hmm. And what what was your impression the first time you saw any part of this script oh, and, no. and any of these sketches? I'm in love with the idea. I'm in love with the idea of having a sense of control of your vices, being able to eliminate eliminate it from your psyche, and having a clean slate if you want to maybe you can't let go of someone and it affects other areas of your life so maybe you want to delete that person oh, I just I have a long list so really <laughs> I, I, I want this technology I, I don't only want to see the movie get made I want to see this technology come to fruition <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't we all? So now, what is the plan now while you're still in the fundraising stage? Well, um, the plan is just to keep, you know, promoting the project. And, you know, hopefully we meet our goal and can make this movie happen. Yeah, you guys can go to www.keepleave.com to check out all of our footage that we've shot and some stills we've shot and get a little background on... um, the producers and the the castmates and there will also be a link for the kickstarter there oh well and even i've been on the kickstarter i have to go back to the kickstarter for a specific <laughs> reason but i was already Thank on you. i was already on there checking it out okay and i'm trying to see we have we have another caller we have another call is this we're trying to find out is this daniela no okay this is jeremy Okay, so our 11.30 is on hold. Yeah. So mm. we're just, this is the joy of live. Yay, live. <laughs> Welcome to our live show. So now, awesome. what, so now what are you working on in the interim while you're waiting for funding or are you guys working through? What's, what's happening here? Um, well, I work full-time at NBC Universal. So, Yay. you know, that's kind of, you know, my bread and butter and um this is just a project that chris brought me on to that i thought had a lot of great potential so i'm working on it you know in the time that i have well i'm so glad you are and i'm so glad that you called in today yeah, to talk to thank us you. Thank you. this is fabulous and we will definitely and on the video portion of the show we will have it scrolling jordan Yay. will make sure it's there for everyone thank to see you. yeah thank you where Debbie. to go to check it out Thank you Yay. so much. Thank and, you for having me. Okay, and when it's done, you are going to come back on the show, yes? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Hector. Thank you, Hector. Thank you. Bye. 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 Great Bye. to meet you. And we're going to take a short commercial break for Jordan to change batteries in the camera, <laughs> and we'll be right back with Jeremy Royce. <laughs> Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com.
Now, serious. Welcome back to Behind the Lens. But Hello. I got, I got, I got to say, Brian, Brian, <laughs> seriously, because he's the owner. Don't talk anything bad about it. Oh no, I loved I, it. I'm not. I was just going to say <laughs> the bugs. I didn't hear anything about fleas in there. I, I, I want, I want something about fleas. Oh, you know, you know what? Um, I asked him about fleas, and he, he actually, I'll show it to you later. It's a product that he, that he uh, recommended. That oh. it's natural. It doesn't. It doesn't kill Brian's the fleas. Brian's on just, it. it. Just okay. Gets rid of them in a in a very safe. I can't kill bugs. I'm weird. Well, no, oh. but you know, with cats and all, and, and summer and heat, you know, and I'm listening to this wonderful fun ad. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> really and, charismatic and ad. I hear nothing. Every bug in the world is mentioned except fleas. So I'm sure you can use the Captain Jack. I'll ask him. Well, yes, we'll have Aww. to. We'll have to inquire. Look how helpful he is. Brian's, Brian's very helpful. He's so sweet. For the and <laughs> you know, for for those of you listening, yes, this is Debbie Lynn Elias, MovieSharkToBlur.com. Sitting here is Kendra Montagna. KendraMontagna.com. IMDb. Please look me up. Uh, SAG member since 2005. <laughs> She, she's very good at self-promotion. I've taught her well. Yes, really, truly. I have. You have. People don't realize how many years we've known each other. A long time. A long time. Yes. Kendra's my favorite. I have championed Kendra for many years. Yay. And it's all paying off. It is all paying off. Just to be here on Behind the Lens today. We did our crafts earlier. Yes, and, and for those of you, when you watch, you will see our crafts. We had our crafting. <laughs> To, we know, set everything up here. No, we didn't. Jordan. Well, had, Jordan helped. Jordan, and Brian. After we do it, Jordan changes Jordan everything. Jordan changes it. For the camera. But we give the ideas. We facilitate everything. We facilitate. We're the facilitators. Yeah. And that's really the important thing. And right now, we're going to facilitate a phone call because we have joining us now the wonderful Jeremy Royce. Jeremy. Welcome. Hey, guys. Welcome, Hi. Jeremy. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, my God. You are more than welcome. Thank you for making a fun documentary. Yes. I I appreciate that we get a chance to talk about it. Oh, my God. This is, I enjoy, enjoyed this so much, not only for a look back in time and a look back at what was so accessible for people to do in cable access in the 90s, in the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, when it was really starting to take hold, because I actually started doing television back in the late 70s in cable. Um, wow. So I've watched the transition. And to see, you know, what happened with the show 30 years, 30 minutes of madness, mm -hmm. and to now go back and revisit it, and you put together this documentary. And it's not just a look back. No, it, it's, it's not. It's not just a retrospect. It's very much in the moment mm -hmm. and raises all kinds of questions that everybody has. Mm-hmm about life yeah when we uh first approached the documentary it was really important to me that it wasn't just about the show in the past but that it was about where these people are today and that we feel like we can catch up and and see how the world's evolved and how these lives have changed over the past 20 years so i'm, I'm glad that that's coming through yeah i mean i really you know that was one of the really interesting elements of the documentary but how did you how did this documentary come to you how did the idea come to you how did you even know about this obscure little michigan show 30 minutes of madness yeah so i'm a, a fifth generation californian i was born in northern california but i came down to la in 2009 to start grad school at usc mm -hmm. and i ended up moving into a house where another uh, student at usc had just moved in the day before and it happened to be Jerry Y. Jr., the, the main subject of the documentary and the ah, founder of 30 Minutes of Madness. So 
as film students, the first thing you do is you start sharing your password and talking about it. And it took Jerry like less than a day probably to bring up 30 Minutes of Madness and show me these episodes he made as a teenager. And um, it was crazy and bizarre. And I thought it was strange that you were showing them to me because most of them were like pretty rough around the edges. But uh, there was something really special about it. Um, And then two years later, he got in touch with some of his friends for the first time and discovered where their lives had taken them. And once he told me kind of where everyone had ended up, I was intrigued and convinced him that he needed to make a documentary for the 20-year reunion mm-hmm. and that he should make a new episode of the show. And he said, well, you should direct it. And that's kind of how it all started. Well, look at that. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, what, how, do you make, how do you approach a documentary like this? You take something that is an established product that everybody is basically reconnecting for the first time in decades and as we see on the film you know life has been less than kind to some you know kinder to uh, to some than to others and then you you have that dynamic coming together and you're shooting another episode of the show and then you're shooting the show being shot how do you how do you lay this out and plan this out Well, in some ways, I was really lucky. And part of the reason I was drawn to the story in the first place is that, you know, even in documentaries, you're always trying to find, like, a really clear structure. So you can go down those tangents and explore things but still have something for the audience to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And for us, the the structure was kind of built into the documentary because we knew Jerry was going to be making a new episode of the show. So you kind of had your your um, first act of like starting this thing, the making of it, the series of obstacles, and then the third act of do they finish the show? How does it turn out? What happens to these friendships? Mm -hmm. So that was my approach. And then just relying really heavily on the archival footage to kind of parallel the original process of making the show when they first met each other, when they first started working out their difficulties and when everything fell apart the first time and playing that story off the modern day kind of, a really similar story because right. they went mm-hmm. through all the same things 20 years later that they ended up going through the first time. Mm-hmm. So that was my approach. Now, did you go through the archival footage to select excerpts you wanted or did you let Jerry do that? No, no. I went through In fact, I think I'm the only person who's seen all of the footage. Jerry hasn't even watched a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they were always passionate filming. about it. They just wanted to shoot. Yeah, they just, you know, sometimes they would leave the camera rolling for an hour at a party and it's just sitting on a table. And I scrubbed through everything. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a section of birthday videos. Every year, Jerry does a video of himself talking to the camera about what's happened in the past year. And he hasn't watched any of that either. So wow. I, I watched over 300 hours of footage because I really wanted to get to the heart of, of who these people were as teenagers and, and how they've changed or not changed. Right. Oh, my God. 300 hours of footage. You are dedicated. Well, it felt like a lot. And then just recently we were at Traverse City Film Festival and uh, Michael Morris Festival, and I was talking to some of the other documentarians. And there's some projects that they go through 2,000 hours. Oh, yeah. Like oh, really? Yeah. It's amazing. The the dedication of some documentarians is uh, far surpasses what I had to do for this show. Yeah. I, I, last year I talked to one documentarian who did a documentary on Nixon and the Nixon tapes and Nixon's presidency, and there were over 4,000 hours. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, to go through Stephen Riley, who just did the Marlon Brando uh, documentary, there were over 300 hours of audio tapes mm-hmm. right. that Marlon himself had made. 
so the dedication that it takes to go through something like this that is predicated upon archival material is, uh, I applaud you immensely, Jeremy. Now, when you were, the physical logistics of shooting this documentary, did you have multi-camera? Were you shooting one camera? What was the process? Just shooting while they were shooting? Uh, separate interviews? Can you describe a little bit of that? Yeah, so I work as a uh, freelance cinematographer here in L.A. That's my, my day job. So um, I kind of took the typical approach to what I do normally and applied it to this. I had one other camera, so it was me and my co-cinematographer, Will Job. We were shooting the bulk of the, the first summer that most of the film follows, which was the summer of 2012. We were there for about a month. I think I was there for six weeks. He was there for a month. And we were filming, um, you know, as much as possible. That's when the bulk of the show was being created. So we were there when they were filming skits. And in some ways, you have a unique opportunity as a documentarian, documentarian filming filmmakers because normally you're a fly on the wall. You just have to hold your position and, until something changes. When they're shooting in a show, they're doing multiple takes often. So if you didn't get a certain movement perfect as a documentarian, sometimes you can redo the take yourself as well or change and get different coverage. So there was an opportunity there that actually a lot of documentaries don't have. And we tried to make the most of that and film it a lot more like a narrative film would have been filmed because mm -hmm. we had these opportunities to do things a couple times sometimes. Mm -hmm. How long was the editing process for you then once you had accumulated every uh, the new footage and the archive and you'd gone through the archival footage? Yeah, so I started editing, uh, making selects and syncing and everything um, the fall of 2012, and we locked the cut uh, December of 2014. Wow. So <laughs> it was a long process. It was definitely a long process. It was... Um, the film was really made in in the editing room because mm -hmm. we had so many characters. There were so many people involved in the show, mm -hmm. and we, there were so many people we were tracking during the, the making of the new show. But the hardest part was really determining who we're following and then trying to make the film work with just those characters. So we did a lot of, I think we did probably 35 cuts. I did 35 cuts of the film, and it took various different shapes and sizes. Um, but finally, I think we found the right balance. How did you decide, what, what was it that would jump out at you that would help you decide who to follow, who to put the focus on? I mean, because this film follows a lot of people who are struggling, yeah. some of whom are struggling with yeah. mental illness, um, a big part of it was who was comfortable being filmed and who ended up showing up the most. So some of the characters I knew when we were filming, like, oh, this person's really opening up, they're comfortable talking about what's going on, this person isn't. So we're not going to have that. We're not going to feature them as much. But even so, I was astonished at how many of the characters really, really um, just sort of bared their soul mm -hmm. to the camera. Because it's a lot to ask somebody who's never talked to their family or never talked to uh, people on social media about the fact that they're struggling with schizophrenia or whatever. Mm -hmm. To come and you know say that on camera, knowing it's going to be cut into a film that's going to be seen by thousands of people. So I, I guess I'm always just trying to commend the the subjects because in a lot of ways they decided for me what the film was going to be by their decision to open up on the on camera mm -hmm. human behavior really intrigues me and i loved actually loved watching your documentary because it takes something that was kind of like an outlet for these individuals that's like reminiscent of jackass and tom green you know in the 90s and it takes it and puts a deep spin on it 
where these people are going, you know, they're going artists. They're going through these struggles where they're looking at losing their dreams. And it's sad. I just identify with it. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think the the big thing for me is, you know, for a lot of the characters on the show as they grew up, they lost a lot of their friends and the social interaction that they had as teenagers, and they stopped doing art. And the making of the new show kind of became a vehicle for these people who were pretty isolated to have an outlet and a way to connect with other people. Yeah. And to make something really interesting. I think that the show that they made together is amazing. And actually, if people wanted to watch it, it's available online. Um, at 30mom.com, 30mom.com, that's uh, Jerry's website. Mm-hmm. And the 15th episode, the episode that we follow in the documentary is online. And it's, it's fascinating because awesome. you see a lot of these characters who are really, really soft-spoken and sort of... Um, right, they open up. Hold, absolutely. You put them in front of a camera and they just like, come happens. alive and you see the spark that you haven't seen that yeah. I didn't even know was there until they started filming with each other. It was really special. Wow. So how special was it for you when you got into Slam Dance and then you walked away with the honorable mention jury, uh, jury prize for documentary? Yay. Oh, man, Slam Dance is amazing. <laughs> for the, the people who don't know about it, it's like... First, we made a film about freaks and outsiders and weirdos, and I'm one of them, you I'm know, and I always have been. And Slam Dance, I feel like, really embraces that counterculture outsider thing, you yeah. know, while still offering a venue where your film can be seen by lots of people in Park City, you know, while Sundance is swirling around you uh, 360 degrees. And it's just a really unique experience because you have this one hotel where everybody's together watching films, and all the other filmmakers come to see your films. And you sort of form this bond. It feels like you're sort of part of a slam dance family. So, mm-hmm. and then tonight we have a screening at the ArcLight. Um, yes, you do. Slam dance. And again, they, they just continue to support the people that they, the, the films that they uh, accept into the festival. So it was an incredible experience, and it was just incredible to kind of get people's reactions to the film after basically being by myself for two years. Me mm-hmm. and Jerry watching these cuts, wondering if it right. even makes sense to anyone else. So. It was a special moment for me. Now, have you has the film played anywhere that has sound and visuals like the arc light? Because I know I've moderated a lot. I'm not moderating yours because you guys went and got Tom Green, but we won't we won't go there. <laughs> Party of one, <laughs> but but that's one of the things that all of the filmmakers, as I moderate their Q and A's there. Uh, at, with the ArcLight Slamdance Cinema Club, they are blown away because they have never experienced their own film with sound such as what the ArcLight has or screen such as what it has. Have you seen yours on anything comparable to ArcLight screens? Absolutely not. No, I remember what? when I first came to L.A. and I discovered the ArcLight, I was blown away. It's sort of like the mecca for filmmakers, mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, going there... And watching a movie and having someone come in and introduce it and knowing that everything is going to be perfect. Your film. That, your film at the Arc Light. Right. Well, yeah, tonight it's going to be really crazy because also we um, we just got a 5.1 mix. So I've never heard my film in proper oh, surround sound. My so God. It's, oh, that's going to it's be, be so amazing. Great. I, I'm really I'm nervous and also really, really excited. Congratulations. You, you are going to have the time of your life there mm-hmm. tonight, Jeremy. Now, you know, even going beyond Slamdance Film Festival, the fact that because, you know, Peter Baxter and I have become friends o- over the, the past year and everything, you know, with with Arclight Slamdance and it's a big deal. Peter puts in a lot of time with his programmers to cherry pick films for the cinema club 
Did that blow your mind to find out that your film got picked for the Cinema Club? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I just am never, I never stop being amazed by how much love they keep giving us and all of the filmmakers, but especially to be part of the Cinema Club was a huge honor because um, it's, uh, it's the opportunity to really have your film seen the way that you intended. And for a lot of films, they never get that chance, you no, know, especially documentaries these days. There's, they never get a theatrical run. Mm -hmm. And if they do, they probably aren't going to play in a theater like that. So the fact that Peter just continues to give us these opportunities, is, it's really, I mean, he should be commended for all of the things he does. And he's so loving and supportive. It's like when we got into Slamdance, Peter became our dad. Mm -hmm. We have this supporting father figure who's just looking after everybody. And it was really, uh, I was thrilled when he gave us the opportunity to play the cinema club. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I think it's safe to say that, that Peter looks at all of these films and all of you. He really does look at all of you like they're a part of him, like you are his children. And he is so invested in each of you and where you go and what you do and what your films do. So, and to see a film like yours and to know that it's been cherry-picked out of everything at Slamdance, to be part of this and to, air, and to play there tonight on the closing night of the summer portion of Cinema Club yeah. is, I yeah. mean, congratulations yes, to you on you that, Yes, you followed Jeremy. your passion and you succeeded, so you should be very proud. Well, thanks a lot. So and we're really excited. It's, um, it's uh, you know, it just goes to show that a big theme of our film is that it's never too late to chase your dreams. Exactly. And I feel like I'm, I'm still getting the reflection of that in, with my film, and I'm, I'm really lucky to, to have this opportunity. So what is the next dream that you're chasing now that 20 years of madness after today? Another film, another feature, a narrative? What are you going to do? Yeah, so, I mean, the thing that we often forget is that um, – once the film is done, it's not done. Like, I won't really be done with this until we can secure a distributor. Even if it's right. just a VOD distributor somewhere where the film can exist and be seen by more than the people who just go to festivals. Right. Uh, so that's my full-time job right now. Um, as soon as I can finish that, I have uh, a couple narrative features that I intend to um, start working on. I'm going to shoot a couple trailers and try to take them out to get proper funding. The big difference is with this film, we put in all of our own money. I, you know, didn't pay myself. Not Nobody got paid. We, <laughs> yeah. we just put our heart and soul into it Passion for years. And unfortunately, that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So um, Yeah, last time I checked, will... banks won't take that as mortgage no, payment. They no, they I won't. I can't they pay won't. my rent that way. Yeah. I would love Absolutely. to pay my rent on art, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> well, Jeremy, I am so thrilled for you. For everybody out there listening right now, tonight, Arclight, 8 p.m., you can go online to arclightcinemas.com right now and get a ticket. Or just show up there and actually, because of a deal I have with Arclight Slamdance, if you're listening, you show up. You heard us talk about it on Behind the Lens. Behind the Lens perks. You can, you can get in. Yay. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful time tonight, Jeremy. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It was, uh, it was great to get a chance to talk with you guys. Oh, and next film that you do, or whenever you get a distribution deal, let us please know. Awesome. let us know, and you, so you can come back on the show, and we can tell a whole new audience about it. Yes. Oh, that would be great. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jeremy. Nice to meet you, Jeremy. Bye-bye. You too. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And that was the very enthusiastic Jeremy Royce, as well he should be. Yes, he should.
I mean, it it's it real. It is, and I'm glad he's he's still working on a distribution deal. But as he said, VOD. This is something I think Gravitas or somebody should be looking at mm-hmm. uh, with an eye towards picking it up because Gravitas has been picking up a lot of festival films. Um, my good friend Jess Weixler and her and uh, her filmmaking partner Jen Prediger, who is now a good friend of mine. Their film started out as Trouble Dolls at LA Film Festival, ended up getting picked up by Gravitas. They switched the name to Apartment Troubles. Uh, They were on VOD. Uh, They're now going uh, DVD and Blu-ray on October the 6th or 16th. So, so, you know, Gravitas is a great place for these little films. So I really hope that somebody like Gravitas takes a look at 20 Years of Madness. Yes, I love hearing these success stories, you know. It's not... It's not an instant uh, no. thing. And the fact that, you know, people keep plowing on. Yeah. They're not giving up. It's hard to find support these days. I mean, not everyone supports you, you know. It's uh, if you have a dream and a passion, you do it because you love it. And not everyone agrees. And, you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But you've got to you, try. You've got to keep plugging along. Now, I quickly have to have to mention here. When you watch the video, for those of you who watch the video podcast this week, uh, mm-hmm. later this week, um, you will notice we have several items scattered about for Breakpoint, not Point Break, the sacrilegious remake. We're talking Breakpoint, a fabulous, fabulous little gem. It's on VOD right now. It's in theaters, Labor Day weekend. It's a perfect tie-in with the U.S. Open. And why is that? Because it's a tennis movie. But it's <laughs> not just a tennis movie. It's filled with heart humor stars jeremy sisto yes ladies jeremy sisto david walton jk simmons and as a leading co-star on i this excites me more than anything the young joshua rush joshua is a scene stealer he's 11 years old he outshines jeremy david and jk um joshua is a fabulous, fabulous young actor. You may recall seeing him in Parental Guidance with Bette Midler and Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a brother to, you know, my my adopted niece uh, <laughs> Bailey Madison, uh-huh. um, who I've who I've had the good fortune to be part of her life for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a true true champion. And she's now gotten into producing, but uh, that's when I first met Joshua is when he was in Parental Guidance with Bailey. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't understand, she, she's not really my niece, but we've known each other so it's long. It's the bond. It's the bond. The bond. Um, but Joshua just steals every scene in Breakpoint. Two brothers, tennis champions, they drift away. Jeremy Sisto's character he keeps playing but it's like he's the john mcenroe bad boy mm-hmm. for those of you old enough to remember mcenroe bad boy throwing rackets screaming and this is jeremy sister's character um his brother played by david walton you know excellent tennis player but he went off to after they split up his doubles and his brothers essentially went off to be a teacher but then one needs the help of the other and it's a journey of brothers coming back together of a family coming back together Technically, it is beautifully done. Jay Karras directs it. Gene Hong and Jeremy Sisto wrote the script. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have interview excerpts coming up in the coming weeks as we get closer. And apparently Joshua may even be <gasps> making a personal appearance, maybe joining us live. <gasps> yes. 
Um, he is just, I adore Joshua Rush more than anything <laughs> in the world. Um, and for those of you in Culver City, go check out House of Fitness. His dad is the manager there. Very nice. Culver City represent. Well, let's Love put it Culver. this way. Actors like to stay in shape. Yes, it's true. So, and I think his dad or the owner of House of Fitness may be joining us one day, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah, to talk about the importance of getting actors in shape and yes. directors in shape for, Staying healthy. for shoots. But I just wanted to give a mention at this point of Breakpoint. We'll be talking about that more in the coming weeks. But we have another film that opened over the weekend that it is ethereal beauty. I know you've heard Greg and I talk about it briefly the past couple weeks. Gahil Gibran's The Prophet. Uh, animated film. It is stunning. Selma Hayek is a producer. This has been a pa- oh, wow. This has been a passion project. What they did was they took the book The Prophet. Mm-hmm. Selected 9 of the 26 poems and philosophies within it mm-hmm. and it has become a movie. Roger Ellers who directed The Lion King writes the a through-line script and it is punctuated with these 9 different poems done by 9 different animators. Um, each with a different style. Michael Sosha, Nina Paley, Joanna Safar, John, uh, Joan Gratz, Bill Plimpton, Tom Moore, Tom Moore stuff. He did Secret of the Kells, Song of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful work. Muhammad Harib and the Breesy Brothers. Everything is different. Everything is vibrant. Everything is beautiful. And uh, at the recent press day, uh, I had a chance... Uh, during the small roundtable to talk with Selma Hayek. I then talked to Quivenzene Wallace afterwards in a one-on-one. She voices one of the characters and a one-on-one with Roger, and we'll hear from that in the coming weeks, too. But today I wanted to kick you off with what Selma had to say about what inspired her and what made her... Re- about What inspired her about uh, Gahil Gibran's The Prophet, the book, and inspired her to turn this into a film. Well, when I answer those, it's going to be all the questions are going to be answered. But let uh, help me because I am so tired. So let's write them down. Okay. The first one: What inspired me? What inspired you to make this? Um, the first thing that inspired me to make it into a film, although this was a book that personally touched me, um, because of my humanitarian work, I have seen the distress around the world. And sometimes it makes you lose hope. And uh, I think that the only thing that is going to save us is that we can somehow reconnect to our humanity. And uh, I wanted to make a film that inspired people. Not just that inspired, but that made people go to have entertainment and somehow this beautiful thing we are inside, all of us, would be have a place to come to the surface and and that we can remember that there is this place inside of us that exists. A lot of people cry in this film and it's not sad. And um, I wanted a tool to get to that place because we operate like in survival mood and then 
we need to be distracted from life. I wanted some kind of distraction that actually connected you to life and made you feel excited about it. And it was hopeful and uplifting. I wanted to make a film that was about connection. Today, when we think about connection, especially the younger generations, we think of the internet. Uh, I wanted first, of course, for you to connect with your own humanity, and then also to connect to others, starting in our family. This is a movie that if you watch it with your children, or with your teenagers, or with your parents or grandparents, everybody's going to have an intimate experience with the film. But then when you come out, everybody wants to talk about their intimate experience with the film. And now when you take your children to the movies, they're not talking to you, they're talking at you, and they're just, if they're talking at all, <laughs> you know? Uh, but they're just like uh, recapping. They're not asking you questions, and they're not going inside to think. There's a lot of children that are profound thinkers, and they are not stimulated to go to, to that deep. And it creates anxiety in them, and they don't even know what. We have a very big problem with anxiety with children, and I believe that this is one of the sources. Uh, so it creates a, a connection. So it's beautiful. You get, her passion is incredible. You know, she also talks about animation, but because of the length of it, we're going to hold that till next week. So there will be more from Selma Hayek next week. And also next week we'll uh, hear from what Roger Allers had to say about the animation and the design mm -hmm. of The Prophet. But also joining me next week is going to be my producing pal, Ian Coyne, uh, my BFF to come out of L.A. Film Festival this year. Every year there's always one <laughs> um, that, that I stay friends with forever. And this year it's, defi it's definitely going to be Ian. He's produ he produced Aram Aram, mm -hmm. which had its premiere at LAFF as a narrative. He's now producing another film called The Canary, which will be Sunday night, next Sunday night, uh, as part of the the Holly Shorts Fest down at the Man Complex in Hollywood, he and some of his team are going to be joining us live on Monday to talk about that festival experience. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that were hoping to hear from Daniela today, she is on set. Yes, she is an active cinematographer, and she was filming today. So. so we are done. Join us next week, please. Thank you guys so much. Thanks and for supporting Keep Leave. And Kendra will be back again in the future. Yes. Thank you guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>